Ladies, hold on to your petticoats. You're welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. Am I too hard on myself or not hard enough? That has been one of my lifelong queries. Can you relate? Are you not getting enough done? You're not working hard enough. You should be further along. You should accomplish more in a day. Have more energy. Be more focused. Or are you too hard on yourself? You worked all day. Gosh, just rest. You've done a lot this week. Take a day off. You made a lot of progress this year. Sure, you're not totally there, but celebrate what you did do. It took me starting a business and running it for years, super focused and self-disciplined, to finally accept for myself, I do work hard. I cannot tell myself otherwise. I set an alarm to wake up in the morning, even though no one makes me. I work 9 to 6, though I have no boss. I check Instagram for work on nights and weekends, even though no one would know if I don't. And yet, I don't always get as much done in a day as I wanted. I'll feel like I'll lose hours, energy, momentum, focus. Like, how is it 3 p.m. and my brain is already over it? How is it 4 p.m. and I feel like I didn't get anything done today? Why do I think I'm going to get so much done on Saturdays and then consistently don't? (laughs) And this is a common struggle I get asked about. How do you get stuff done? How do you not feel overwhelmed? I constantly feel like I'm behind. So today on the You're Welcome podcast with myself, Hillary Rushford, I'll share five things that have worked for me, work to help me do more while crying or wanting to cry in self-loathing frustration less and come home feeling less like I, quote, need a glass of wine at the end of the day. If you are someone like me who would want to write down the five because you are a notes nerd, I want to assure you, you can just listen and take in this episode. And then I've created a little graphic for you of these five, as well as the journal cues along the way. If you'll go to hillaryrushford.com slash pod VIP, that's my name, hillaryrushford.com slash pod as in podcast VIP as in you. And you can get that download for free, or you can find them in my pinned IG stories on Instagram to just take a screenshot so you can have them afterwards. So way number one is time tracking and journaling. Personally, I don't do this every day or even most days, but when I really am in a pinch and I have to get stuff done by a deadline, I can become a ninja at this. The quickest way to get started is just open up a Word doc and start tracking your time as often as you can remember throughout the day. So I'll just write down 9.05 a.m., sat down at desk, organized Asana, which is our project management app, kind of like my to-do list. 9.17, email inbox is at 54. 10 a.m., email down to 32, got distracted on Facebook looking for a video link, focusing back. So for me, first off, this keeps me more aware, more focused on am I working on the right thing, more likely to circle back when I realize that I got distracted on Facebook and come back to what was it that I was doing that I got on there in the first place. And second, at the end of the day, I feel more proud of myself, whatever I accomplished, because I can see I clearly was working all day. Normally, I can't remember everything I worked on, especially if I was switching around a lot. And this way, I can see everything I did do, which is always more than I think, and more than I would give myself credit for if I don't have it written down. The rare times when I do this even better 
it includes journaling first. So I have a template of questions I'll ask myself. Like, and I'll do this first thing in the morning for me when I sit down at uh, at a coffee shop, which is where I work from in the mornings. So first question is, how am I feeling? How are things going? This is just a brain dump, just a check-in, pour it all out. Next question, what am I anxious about? What could be going better? Just get that down on the page out of your head. Next question, what are my actions to change that? So I don't want to just worry or wish. I want to ask myself, what can you do about those things that you're feeling anxious about or aren't going as well as they could? And then I add those right into my asana or whatever your computer to-do list is. And then finally, I have my top two priorities for today and top two for tomorrow. I do today and tomorrow because there's always way too much for today and it feels less intense, I guess, knowing I can and will get to it tomorrow versus trying unrealistically to cram everything onto today's list. And then I'll start time tracking and I can see my priorities right there as a reminder to stay on task for those. And again, I don't do this every day. I think it would be wonderful if I did this every day and I would probably be more productive. It just doesn't fit into my personality type to love that much structure and routine. So it's more a tool that I go to in certain seasons or on certain days that is how it's best useful for me. Number two is I rewrite the story that this is hard. Often I'll realize I'm avoiding a task because I've decided that it's hard or I've made it hard. Most of the time for me, it's because I've already been putting it off, which I feel bad about. So now there's a bad emotion subconsciously attached to it. Like I feel behind that I didn't reply to that email. Now for I, therefore I'm embarrassed or ashamed. And now it's worse because they wrote back. So I keep avoiding having to deal with my quote failure, which only makes it worse. Because now it's longer since I replied. Now they've written twice. And honestly, it was a little email. It wasn't like a big, scary email, but it only became a big deal because of the story that I was behind and I should be ashamed. Or sometimes it's a language check. I failed so many times at working out that when I finally decided to join a Pilates studio, I decided to call it my refreshing hour. So now I'll say I'm going to get realigned or to stretch or give my brain a break. I won't use the trigger words, workout, or the gym. Webinar days used to be so hard for us as a business. They were the most stressful day. You're going live. The team is virtual. There's tech issues. The slides don't convert from someone's PC to your Mac computer. So this year, I really talked it out with my team. I said, this year is so different. We're in such a different position, X, Y, Z. We added in more time getting ready. We're more spacious. I verbally rewrote for us the story that this was hard. It was in the past. It isn't now. So let's not live in the past. I did this with my weddings. Our elopement was so stressful for many reasons I'll share in another podcast that I had to make the very conscious, very challenging decision to write a new story for the family wedding. This is a different scenario, different story. We're choosing joy. This is a blessing. This is fun. This is a gift. Even things that should be beautiful, like a friendship or planning a wedding, can start to feel heavy because they start to get negative emotions and stories attached that we don't really notice and slow down to rewrite and call out as lies. Sometimes it's unraveling that the reason I 
haven't emailed people to ask them for those photos is that it always reminds me that I need to write Brian about his photos as well. And then I remember that I have to get back to him about a reimbursement. And ultimately, I'm just not doing this one task because it's three separate tasks. And I simply need to write them down to realize I feel badly I've forgotten about Brian's reimbursement. Let me deal with that so that now I can move on to these other tasks that I'm avoiding for absolutely no good reason. So whether it's an isolated task like an email, a recurring event like a live webinar, a lifestyle shift like moving your body, get to the root of why you're avoiding or adverse to something and instead choose new language. Choose a new story. Notice what doesn't work and change it. Which brings us to number three, which is notice what does work and do more of it. So I hired a uh, physical therapist. I started visiting a physical therapist and I know myself well enough to know that when he would when he said, "Okay, great. So I'm going to give you some homework. And I was like, nope, Richard, I'm going to be honest. I have no mental willpower at the end of the day. I am very self-disciplined all day. And if you give me homework, I would either uh, do it in the morning when I'm really tired and I just suck at doing things first thing in the morning or when I get home from work and then, man, my willpower is tapped out. So instead, I'm going to pay you to come here for the accountability to actually do these things for my body and the mental rest because I don't have to exert willpower. I don't have a boss at work. I do need to exert that willpower all day. But I can come here and let you be the boss of me for half an hour on Tuesdays and Thursdays and give that mental rest and let you be the expert of something in my life for that little window. When it came to starting this podcast, I said, let's go rent a podcast studio. Let's go film outside of the house. One, because I noticed that what doesn't work is when I have to deal with technology, which is a major source of stress. So what does work? Finding an environment where we can just export that to the experts. Um, What doesn't work is always having to film in my apartment where we can sometimes live on a noisy street. It's New York City. There's ambulances. They could be doing construction. I know that what is going to work is this podcast studio is always going to be quiet and available on the exact times that I have an expectation that I'm going to record. I know that I could skip an appointment if it was just at my apartment. I could say, oh, well, I wasn't feeling well, and then I got a late start, and well, I don't know if I'm going to have time you know, now to do as many episodes as I want to do, whereas appointments, I don't miss those. There's a hard start. There's an arrival time. I'm someone who's on time. There's a structure to them. So I know that what is going to work better for me is to set an appointment for something that is this important and not just make it with myself, but actually have it scheduled in the books. And then I book extra time for these sessions so that there's spaciousness and I'm not stressed because I know that that's not going to work well if I'm panicked and scrambling to get to the end of an episode. Other small examples in my life, I tried out different times of day for Pilates. I tried classes in the morning and at noon, at night, to figure out what was going to be the best energy. Um, I know that I schedule as many appointments as I can in the late afternoon because that's when my brain is shot. I know I do my best work in the morning, so it makes sense for me to go to that dermatology appointment at 4 p.m. instead of 10 a.m. I am happier when I'm in the office alone. 
I am happier having an office, actually, that I work from. So I've tested out working from home or working from an office. The office works better. I've tested having in-person employees or being by myself. Being by myself works better. For my company, what didn't work as well was not having strategy sessions. Uh, We realized on our last launch that we would have these when we had a work session and then we would kind of stay on afterwards and keep strategizing. But once we got all of our work done, we were no longer having regular calls and we therefore could have done an even better job the last few weeks of our project if we had continued to strategize in the moment. So now what works for us is specifically prioritizing strategy calls. Also, what doesn't work well is trying to strategize and dream big when we have 10 minutes left of a meeting. What does work well is having specific, freer, less structured meetings, specifically to brainstorm, where those of us who are dreamers and visionaries and verbal processors can brainstorm and tangent and go down a rabbit hole. That doesn't work on every meeting, but we know that it works for some kind of meetings. And so we've scheduled some that work this way and some that work that way. Uh, What didn't work was not keeping the weekly appointment with my assistant. Uh, Now I have scheduled two, and what is working is my absolutely committing to keeping them to help her help me. And as long as I've been doing these processes for, those last couple examples I gave are just things that we've discovered in 2019 in the last few weeks because I continue to ask myself, what works and how can I do more of that? I have used this to set up my life so that I naturally get more done. And if you aren't an entrepreneur, you can still ask for and carve these things out. Maybe it's saying, could I please not be interrupted when I have my headphones on for work? Uh, What works for me is really being able to get in the zone. Or could we have half of our meetings at another time? I My best hours are in the morning. That's what works best for me. All of our meetings are in the morning. I wonder if some of them could be in the afternoon to balance that out. What would work really well for me is the ability to come in earlier and leave earlier. I am really a morning person, and I'm honestly not that productive come 4 p.m., but if I could get in the office at 7, I would be able to give more productive working hours here. If you're trying to get a business or a side business up, Take your best work hours and use them for yourself. This is why I uh, nannied or why you might wait tables at night so that you can notice that what works and when you get your best work done is during the day and you want to prioritize that for yourself. Number four is to write down every little task. I will type out the following fleeting thoughts. Clean off the bedroom chair pick up a box at UPS, order shampoo, reply to text messages. It doesn't matter how big or how small. If it is a thought in your brain, you can forget it or worry that you are going to forget it. This can be personal. It can be business. It can be a simple task or a big project idea. But my best advice is to do this in one app. I used to do this in a journal. If you're anything like me, I love beautiful things. I loved all of my printed journals. I love my colored pens. I love the feeling of a good pen. I love my handwriting. And I just felt like this uh, dream Instagram girl boss when I held these pretty paper goods. 
it's just totally impractical <laughs> for actually getting things done. It only looks good in Instagram photos. The key is to be able to drag and drop so you can see your priorities. Otherwise, I was just constantly making lists and then wasting way too much time rewriting the list. Or I was getting to something because it was at the top of the list, not because I'd actively decided that it was the most important thing. And the other bonus of doing this on some sort of digital app is that you can delegate tasks. If you share this list with your husband or your roommate and you want to divide up who is buying what or who is running what errand or making which call to the handyman or the housekeeper. You can do the same with your nanny or your babysitter. If you're like, hey, I'd also love you to do these 10 tasks once the kids go to sleep and they were just already there on your list. Or if you are an entrepreneur or if this applies within your company, you can share them with your team or an assistant. I just put every single thing down that I want to ask somebody at work tomorrow or that maybe my assistant could help me with. And that also means I'm not contacting my team on nights and weekends, reminding them of something, but I'm also not trying to hold it in my brain until I, until it is the right place. It is just there and ready for me. Which brings us to number five, which is to drop two-thirds of the list to lower priority. So once you put every single little thing down, any moment that you think of it, you're going to realize you have way too many things to do (laughs) because we have so many ideas. There is so much we want to do. I think for most of us, the answer is not that we are not working hard enough. It's that we want so much out of life and love and work and culture. You know, I want to go see this Broadway show and that, and we want to get tickets to that NBA game. We want so much out of our relationships and rest and religion or spirituality. One of my dear friends recently was juggling a day job, running a podcast, exploring three entrepreneurial adventures, taking two graduate courses, learning Russian, in an acting class, dating a new guy. I was like, girl, why do you need to learn Russian right now? (laughs) But I empathize. Learning French has been on my list for three and a half years. So the key here to me is to compare the tasks. If I can't get all of this done, then would I rather choose X versus Y? Simple example of letting something go. I wanted to go to the orthodontist before we eloped. It had been one of those things that was on my list for years. And suddenly you are thinking about all things cosmetic when it comes to your wedding. So it seems like the logical time to get it done. But my then fiance, very wisely, (laughs) because he really helps me, lessen my lists and call out my crazy. He said, smile. And I smiled. And he said, I can't even see your bottom teeth when you smile. Is this really going to make a difference in your wedding photos? Does this really need to be done right now? And no, it didn't, actually. Once I really thought about it, my life was not going to be exponentially better in the midst of an already busy, crazy season if I got that done in the next six months instead of just waiting until things calm down after the wedding. I think one of my first big ahas about this was October 1, 2017. I know 2017, I had been really diligent about setting out my goals for the year, checking in with them monthly and quarterly. I was being really good about kind of big picture journaling that year. And suddenly I realized we're heading into quarter four and there is no way I'm going to get through everything on my list in this quarter. And I'm sure at the beginning of the year, one, I 
things probably took a lot longer than I realized they were going to. Always does. Number two, I had way too much that I thought I was going to accomplish in a year. Just wasn't ever going to be feasible. Number three, I'm sure things got added to the list over the year um, as new new ideas and opportunities came up. So now I'm looking into quarter four and realizing these things cannot all get done in the next 90 days. So your options at that point are to choose what does get done or not or to choose by not choosing and just settle for where the chips fall on December 31, in which case you can't complain about it. So I looked at French, which is one of my goals all year was to learn French. and It kept getting pushed back. And I had to say to myself, French is not going to make my life better three months from now. It's not a real source of unhappiness. It's just a, a nice bonus. It's nice icing on the cake. But friendships, yes, that is something that I'm I'm constantly yearning for. I think about it so much more often. I really think I know that my quality of life would be better if I had richer friendships. And so I continue to be really intentional about friendships, which is something I'm going to talk about in the next episode. But when I was in that period of the wedding, let's say, I could be honest that working out wasn't going to change my life in the next three months in three years or 30 years to become healthier? Yes. But I wasn't going to do some massive change to my body in three months. So it just wasn't one of my top priorities. But once the wedding was done, then I had the space in the next season to commit to just twice a week Pilates and once a week French. Not trying to do all the Pilates or all the French. but And back to noticing what works, I found the right time and location and the right, quote, refreshing class that was going to work for me. And then I paid attention that we had already tried to learn French with a podcast, with an app, with an online course, and it wasn't working. But I will show up to those in-person appointments, like with my physical therapist. So we committed to a French class and again, found a convenient time and place, knowing that that ease is really something that works for us. And then celebrate what you do. Celebrate more often because I have a feeling we are all amazing at what we're making happen and are not giving ourselves enough credit. And learn to discern when it's your gut telling you not to do something versus resistance with a capital R. So resistance is like the devil on your shoulder that whispers, you're not good enough. You shouldn't even write this book. You're Gut is more like the angel on your shoulder that helpfully says, green light, hell yes, this is really the priority. My angel says hell, so there you go. Um, Or red light, this is a distraction, don't do this. Resistance should be fought. The more resistance, probably the more important what you're doing is. Every author friend I have says, when I was writing my book on fear, I was the most fearful in my life because my husband was sick as though I was just really being challenged. Did I really know how to overcome fear? That is when resistance is trying to get in the way of what you are, what your message is, what you're meant to do in the world. This is when I will literally march around my living room shouting, not today, Satan. So resistance should be fought. Fight for your power, your influence, your impact, creativity, your voice. Your gut should be listened to. How do I know if I should meet a friend who's suddenly in from out of town or finish this podcast when I have a recording deadline? I listen to my gut. 
How do I know which creative project to do next, which one to put on the back burner for at least another year, if not more? I've gotten really good at listening to my gut, which is how I can notice what does work, what doesn't work, and which two-thirds of the thing actually should be pushed to lower priority on the list. I am far from awesome, but getting much better and knowing what my true priorities are at seeing them, doing them, and letting more stuff go. Let it go, let it go. In my eternal quest of being more of an essentialist, doing less but better, or elegant excellence, being ambitious gracefully. And remember, I have a beautiful graphic of these five angles and questions if you want to have it as your screensaver or in your camera roll to refer back to at hillaryrushford.com slash pod VIP or in my pinned IG stories to simply screenshot. Or that you can share on your IG stories if you think others would benefit from this episode. I'll see you next Your Welcome Wednesday to talk about not how we go deeper in our days, but deeper in our friendships, where you're welcome in advance. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately are our Brooklyn apartment neighbors. We are moving after three years of my being in that apartment, Jeremy moved into my place once we got married. And I heard on my friend Matthew's podcast, he asked a other New York friend of ours, do you know your neighbors? And she was like, oh, no, absolutely not. (laughs) She was like, no, no one talks to each other. I just know this about them, that they get the New Yorker and whatever. I have said for years, I feel like someone should make a TV show out of my apartment. It is a brownstone in Brooklyn, which is one of those really old buildings that used to be just one family that would live in them, and they've now been divided up into apartments. And it's actually two brownstones that were sistered together. So it's four stories, 16 units. On the first floor, the ground floor, you have an Asian-American man who is retired, who has been there for forever. He knows everything that is going on in the building. If anything happens, he is going to be the first one to knock on someone's door because he never seems to leave his apartment. (laughs) Um, Across the hall from him, there is a young African-American girl that listens to hip hop so early in the morning. Like, it doesn't bother me because I can't hear it. But when I'm walking by her apartment, I just always think, oh, my gosh, you are clearly a morning person and I am not. (laughs) Next to her is Kyle. Kyle, who saved Christmas because he opened the door on Christmas shirtless with a loincloth wrapped around him. Guys, I wish I'm not making this up. I mean, I wish I could make up stories this good. Um, Lily is the one who had knocked on his door. Lily is my neighbor. She um, is Jewish and was celebrating her first newlywed uh, Christmas with her French husband and hosting her first Christmas as a woman who has only celebrated Hanukkah previously. And she's trying to make a pot roast and her oven breaks. So she's going around to all the other apartments seeing if anyone's oven is working. Kyle lets her roast red meat in his oven for four hours. He, in the meantime, offered her pot. She declined. Uh, she then offered him dinner because she had like cooked all this dinner. And that's when he told her he was a vegan. And he was so nice that he let her roast red meat in his apartment, filling it up with like the smell of animal flesh. And it turns out he's a vegan. Next door to Lillian Antoine is Sophie, who is a transgender woman. She has rainbow hair. Um, and is just so joyful and full of life. Next to her 
is Ella, who when I first moved in, so we live across the hall from Ella. And when I first moved in, I introduced myself like, oh, do you live in this apartment? I just moved in across the hall. She goes, when's your birthday? He's like, oh, it's December 17th. She goes, Sagittarius, you're a fire sign. So am I. And I was like, well, you seemed like a sassy broad. (laughs) Uh, Ella had gray pigtails. Her hair was always in pigtails. Bangs. Really high drawn-on eyebrows with a pencil. Like, really high. Like like an upside-down U. Unfortunately, I found out that Ella had passed away because her twin, her identical twin brothers were there cleaning out her apartment. Ella was a hoarder, like on one of those television shows. She had moved into this apartment decades ago. She was paying $134 in rent, which is insane in New York City. And she, I mean, her, guys, it was, it was like worse than the worst TV show that I've heard and seen with hoarders. And her brothers were so embarrassed. They just kept saying she was so smart. She went to this school. She had this university. She, she used to play piano, like all these things. And they just, they couldn't understand like what had happened to her over the years. And she wouldn't let them help. And um, I just, it was just so heartbreaking because I was being so sweet to them. They, and I was asking about Ella. But apparently she had been sadly mugged in our neighborhood, which guys does not happen. And it makes no sense. But she got like knocked over on her walker and I think broke her hip, ended up in the um, uh, care center or whatever and like never recovered. But they were there every day and I lived across the hall. So I kept asking them about her. And I think they thought that we were incredibly close because they were offering me like her piano and her paintings and all of these things, which I was then accepting just because I wanted them to feel like there was someone for them to go to because none of them had children. Anyways, um, then on the third floor, there's kind of a work from home collective. There's like Alex and Aiden and Mike and Paula. And there's all these people that work from home and that hang out. They're on group texts and they hang out up on the roof. They go to one another's weddings. Um, up on the fourth floor is uh, Catherine, who is another hoarder, which I know she's an older African-American woman um, with long gray dreadlocks and like beautiful freckles Um all in her face. And the only reason that I know that she's a hoarder is because the uh, fire department showed up one night because she had been trying to throw a cigarette out the window and it had accidentally gone not out the window and into the apartment. And then the fire department showed up and she didn't want to let them in. And somebody else saw the little crack of door and was like, I think she doesn't want to let them in because she's a hoarder. Um, So we all gathered, (laughs) um, which is where I met Lisa, who lives next door to Catherine, um, who then threw out in her group chat recently that she locked herself in her apartment, which how do you lock yourself in your apartment? Well, in New York City, where locks are weird, it's when you have your keys in the door on the outside and you forget them and you close your door and then it won't let it open again. (laughs) So you have to text somebody in the neighbor chat to let you out. Um, there's also an African-American family with the cutest little kids. Uh, oh, there is Abby, who has the sweetest dogs, Milo and Rosie. They're these huge, fluffy dogs. I don't know what kind, but the kind with, like, curls, like the like maybe a Labradoodle or something. They are massive. I do not know how they survive in a one-bedroom apartment, but they seem like very happy dogs. Guys, this is all to say that New York City is amazing. If you read the news and you feel sad about the state of the world, think of the fact that there are people of different races and sexual orientations and religions and meat eaters and vegans 
that can all live in harmony in this Dean Street kind of building. And when you come to visit New York, know that New Yorkers are so nice. They're not fake nice, like in a small town where like everyone's like nice, but then talks about you behind your back. They're genuinely respecting of differences nice, which is like a whole other level of kindness in my mind. So you are welcome in New York, whoever you are, and in our apartment building, just like on this podcast. goodness, that's not all. Tell them one more thing, Hillary. One more thing. If you are listening to this live, I'm teaching my most popular free workshop, Double Your Instagram Following, live this week. So head over to hillaryrushford.com slash free and grab a seat. I will stick around for Q&A for as long as there are cues afterwards. Instagram has been the single most impactful place to grow my business. The cheapest, easiest while having the most fun and creativity. And I've helped over 10,000 fellow businesses not just double their following, but double their revenue, which is really what matters to me. Because just being popular is like a padded bra. It looks fancy, but it doesn't change reality. So we're going to get real in this class. Come grab your seat at hillaryrushford.com slash free. That's hillaryrushford.com slash free. Till next Wednesday.